Hello, and welcome to Wagon Wheel Coffee Table. It's a film podcast. Hello everybody and welcome back to the Wagon Wheel Coffee Table podcast. I'm your host Ellis, welcome to episode 13 of my of my show. Now this week is Oscar week. I have seen, I, I remember a few episodes ago, I, uh, I kind of predicted or suggested my picks for Oscar winners and I, I have seen a few more of the Oscar nominees since I did that episode. Um... But I'm looking forward to see who wins the Oscar. I think every year I'm looking forward to see, even if I haven't seen all the films. Um, but since that point, I've watched a few of them. Um, I can't remember how much I'd seen when I suggested what films I think should win. But I know I hadn't seen many. Um, but the last like few weeks, couple of weeks, I've seen... like Well, I know it's not nominated for Best Picture, but... Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio, All Quiet on the Western Front I watched, I watched Babylon, uh, I watched The Fablemans. Um, is that all I watched since then? Yeah, because I think by that point I'd seen everywhere, everything, everything everywhere all at once. But yeah, I, I don't really know what my picks are to be honest. I am still kind of want to watch Tar and Aftersun and all these films. Um, and Top Gun Maverick I really want to watch as well. But yeah, I really liked All Quiet on the Western Front. I've heard, like... I don't know if I've heard... I haven't heard anything bad about the film. But I th- I don't know. I was just looking into it. And I think not everyone loves it. Um, but I thought it was incredible. I thought it was harrowing. And it's a pretty... It's a really good war film. I can't think of many, like, better war films. Even though I'm not a huge war film fan. Uh, I preferred it to, like, 1917. And Saving Private Ryan. I think I preferred it to... But, like, I prefer aspects of those two other films more than this one. But I think as a whole, I preferred All Quiet on the Western Front. Because I think it encapsulates the idea of, like, the romanticism behind war. So, like, at the beginning, the boys are so excited to go to war. And then very, very quickly, like, literally as soon as they get there, it's revealed that, like, war is horrific and it's going to fuck you up. Um, if you, if you go, like, if you go to war, like, they're so excited about it, and they're so excited to get their uniform, and there's the horrible thing about someone else's name tag being in this, the thing, in, in your suit and everything, and I think it, it encapsulates that well, and that's kind of very relevant to what, like, my opinion on war, and my, and, like, my understanding of, like, modern war as well, like, I remember at school, people, people in my class, or people I knew of who wanted to join the army, um, and all these kinds of things, and I'm me thinking that like, do you just want to do that because you played Call of Duty, or like a family member who went to like Afghanistan or something like that? Like they, the people who spoke about wanting to join the army always spoke about it in like a, in like an exciting way, in a very romanticized way, and I think some films have attributed to that, and I think probably I. Honestly, I think some people will watch All of Quiet on the Western Front and go, yeah, hell yeah, I'm going to go shoot some people. That's probably not true. Um, but I think, as I was saying, like All Quiet on the Western Front really encapsulated the, like, the idea of young men. Because, to be honest, it probably is young men who are more eager to join the army, I think. 
um, nowadays, kind of the reality that they must face probably at some point. You know, obviously modern warfare isn't as, well, to be honest, I don't know. But I I think it's like the day-to-day, we're not, there's not trenches, it's not barbaric. Well, no, it is, all war is barbaric. Um, But yeah, there's not like trenches and that kind of war, it's not trench warfare that that is kind of happening in our society at the moment but there are realities that people who go to war must face i assume i I mean i don't know because obviously i've never been to war i don't plan on going to war um but i remember i mean this is not what i plan to talk about but i remember when there was a there was a year i can't remember what year it was but it was when the manchester bombings at ariana grande's concert was and i think there was other bombings somewhere else was it in paris or something that happened like within like a short space of time or within the same year sorry if i'm getting this wrong i'm I'm going i haven't done like i haven't looked since this is just come top of my head right now but i remember that happening and i remember being quite scared that things were going to escalate um i think that was a a teenager at the time i remember being quite scared that things were going to escalate and that like i don't know because you're young and you're scared you think right, I'm going to be drafted, like, is I'm going to have no choice but to go to war, because what is the outcome of this, like, these terrorists are, you know, are on a, like, are blowing things up or killing people, like, the answer that most governments have in the past and most people have is, right, let's, let's go to war, and, like, a similar thing with what's happening with Russia and Ukraine at the minute, like, when that happened and then when Poland was bombed like accidentally we don't obviously you don't know the whole story I don't think but it was kind of revealed that it was Ukrainian bombs that landed in Poland but like when people thought it was Russian bombs that landed in Poland it was like right what's going to happen like is this is this the beginning more people going to be more actively involved am I going to have to be involved like are we going to have to go to war like me personally like am I going to be drafted I don't even know how it works I don't know if you still get drafted i know in places like korea um south korea and places like this like you have to join i think at some point i can't remember but i think that's something that happens yeah it's just i think war is obviously is something that's at the back of everyone's mind and it was the same for like our parents generation i think with like the cold war um and living through the 80s and obviously the vietnam war and all these kinds of things it seems to always be a present, a present, like a present thing in our lives, in like every generation, and obviously the types of wars change and the types of quote unquote enemies change, but it seems to all be something that's present, and it's difficult to know why. That it's always resorted to that. Is it all that we know? Like this conflict, I don't know. It's just this is what these kinds of films make me think about. It makes me think about. Like, like the the kids in this are what eighteen? I can't. Remember. I think one of them's underage. I think the main guy's underage. So he's like seventeen, or whatever age. I can't remember who age he was. Like, imagine going to war at that age. I know this is quite like obvious things to say about a war film, but it just it makes these kinds of films when you think about that. And because I'm like a young man, I am like prime <laughs> army material in terms of like I'm the age which like i most army people personnel 
were drafted for like within the world wars and things like that and vietnam war and all these kinds of things i don't know it just gets you thinking about what would happen if this happened and that this this is happening obviously in like the middle east and in ukraine and and people are having to go to war like people younger than me are having to fight and it's just a scary prospect and it makes you feel terrified that it could happen but also you know thankful that it's not happening right now like i'm not sat in my home worrying that a bomb's going to hit or 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 something like that you know but it also makes you think about like someone could set like i live in london someone could drop a bomb on london like a nuclear bomb and i'd be dead in seconds like someone could drop a bomb and like half the country could be dead like that's that's a scary thought that that could happen like something could escalate really quickly and putin or america russia or america or china or anyone any one of these countries could just decide right yeah fuck 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 you london fuck you england here's a here's a nuclear bomb (laughs) and that is something that could happen or we could do that to somebody else so yeah I don't know, that got really deep really quickly. <laughs> I'm like less than 10 minutes into the podcast and I'm already talking about this stuff. But I think it's something that I, I assume, I know some people that I know think about it a lot and I think about it a lot that, you know, this could happen in my lifetime. I, I can't, there's so much tension in the world at the minute um, and it's horrible and you've got like, and this is not really related, you've got like a uh, prime minister at the minute's basically telling refugees to piss off and like well you're not welcome here i don't know why i mentioned that but it's just been on my mind as well but i just think that our governments have the ability to be good and the ability to be bad and they often choose to be bad in terms of morally and it's interesting to think about that and i think it's the same with All Quiet on the Western Front, where there's the the commander guy, I don't know, I can't remember his name, but the guy who looks like Eggman from Sonic. He's got the moustache, he's bald. He, because the war is announced as being over 11 o'clock, and the night, obviously the night before 11 a.m., everyone's celebrating because in the morning the war's going to be over. And it gets to like 10 o'clock, I think, and this commander comes out and says one last push like let's go you're you're going out you're, you're going over the top you're leaving the trench you're going through no man's land and you're going to take that trench even though there's half an hour or an hour left of this war like everyone knows this war's finishing at 11 a.m on the 11th hour of the 11th month of the 11th day but yet we're still going to do it like morally you'd you ha- you want to have faith in these people in power that they'd go there's no point the fighting is over We've just come to some sort of peace agreement, whatever that means. So what's the point in one last push at half ten in the morning when the, the war's going to be over at 11? And you just know and there's this kind of dread and you can tell it's going to happen. And you know the main character, I mean, spoilers, you know the, uh, spoilers for all these films, um, you know the main character's going to die. It's just inevitable. You're like, oh, yeah, he's going to, he's going to die. Because you don't even think that's going to happen. Because in the morning they steal the chicken and his friend dies. Or steal the swan and his friend dies. Or chicken, I can't remember. And then he has to go over the top. 
and he dies. And he dies just as the bell rings at 11am. And you're like, yeah, obviously this is going to happen. And I was so angry at the commander or whatever his name is. The, the guy who looks like Eggman. I just, it's just something that I think a lot of people my age, and a lot of people just in the world right now are thinking about. And for some people it's on their doorstep more than others. And for those of us who are, should be thankful that it's not right here, right now. Um, but I think it's a very common and un, like valid feeling to be scared that this could happen in our future. Like, it's mental to me that the idea of a World War Three or the idea of a nuclear disaster, not a nuclear disaster, but nuclear war that just ends life on this planet, like, that isn't unfathomable unfathom unfathomable you know what i mean like world war three or nuclear warfare or nuclear apocalypse like those kinds of things like that isn't unfathomable to me for some and i don't think it is for many i think it's like that for a lot of people where that is a feasible thing that could happen and that shouldn't be the case and that's scary and the people who decide that are shitty people like rishi sunak has a say in whether that happens like that's crazy that's crazy and obviously rishi sunak isn't as notorious as vladimir putin or north korea or anything like that but anyway wow i did not expect to be talking about nuclear warfare and the life life finishing as we know it uh due to war this early in especially this podcast but to be honest this week i was planning on watching wings from 1927 which was the first oscar best picture winner and that's a lot about the first world war um and about fighter pilots in the first world war um it's a silent film it's i think this is probably the first silent film i've watched well i say i watched i tried to watch it and i fell asleep twice and I got to the intermission because there was an intermission halfway through. About an hour in, there's an intermission with about an hour and a half left. And I'd already fallen asleep twice. I was quite tired. And it, but it just wasn't holding me. And because it's a silent film, this is not... I haven't seen many silent films, if any. Like feature-length silent films. I don't think I've seen any apart from this, to be honest. I found it very, I found it very hard to stay engaged. Because if I look away... Or if I kind of lose a bit of concentration, there's there's dialogue to kind of bring me back in with normal films. But with this, I had to really concentrate on what was happening because there was no dialogue. Um, and I had to, like, read the title cards and all this kind of thing. It just... It's probably, it's probably a very um, Gen Z way of thinking about it. A, bit of a, way of, a way of viewing silent films, but... I was watching, and what I was watching was interesting, and I was not necessarily enjoying it, or not necessarily, like, entertained by it, but it was definitely interesting what I was watching, but I just couldn't stay with it, and that was a few days ago, and since then I've watched a lot of films, which I'm going to talk about later, I basically watched most of the Scream films in that time, and then now I was going to watch the rest of Wings today, and I just couldn't face it, I was like, I've got an hour and a half left, of this two and a half hour long silent film and I just can't face it and I just I couldn't <laughs> I was like because I'm telling myself you decided to watch this for the podcast you need to finish it but I can't finish it 
I'm sure it's good and I'm sure I'd enjoy it. Like I've seen shots and scenes from later on in the film that look incredible, incredibly riveting, like um, the long tracking shot through the people on tables and the duality of humanity, I think it's called, the scene, I think it's a famous scene in the film where he's confronted with the death of his friend. I can't, I don't know if he dies to be honest, I've so, but like incredibly impressive film. Like now we're into it, I might as well talk about it. Like what I saw was really impressive. Like I don't know how they film this show. They film this film, sorry. Like the dog fights, a lot of it clearly is like a plane, people sat in the plane, just shot head on. It's on like a green screen or a projection or something and they're just like pretending to be flying. But there's some like wide shots. And I'm just assuming they just got in a plane and shot another plane. Like filmed another plane. But it's incredible. And like they're doing like dive bombs and crashing and all this kind of thing. And it's very impressive. And obviously the, the shot that I was talking about going through the tables. That's a very impressive shot. It just is a huge feat of filmmaking endeavor like it's really impressive it's really impressive film to watch but i just i just couldn't be engaged by it i just i couldn't engage in it i couldn't be interested in it um and i really struggled but what i watched was interesting i just didn't finish it i couldn't finish it and i had so much more to do this week that i just couldn't finish it um but from what i saw it was really interesting and it won the first ever best picture you know it's the oscars this week so I just thought I'd try and watch the first ever, and I probably will finish it at some point, but I'm not going to finish this week, and this episode of the podcast needs to come out this week. So I just thought I'd at least talk about the film, because uh, that's what I plan to do this week, and just say what I thought. And that's Because I haven't finished the film, I don't have much to say. But it's a long film, and I just couldn't face it. Um, but instead, I think... I mean, I spoke about it for the whole of five minutes. Maybe I should give it a little bit more credit than that. Um... <laughs> I can't. There was actually another impressive shot at the beginning where one of the friends is with the woman who they're both in love with on the swing. And they're swinging. And in the background, and like the camera seems to be attached with the swing. And in the background, uh, a car approaches with the other best friend who's in love with this girl as well. The car approaches, and I just think, oh, that's a projection in the background. Because it's a very complex shot. That's just a projection in the background. And they're pretending to react to the car approaching in the background. But then she gets off the swing and goes hug and goes to hug him or goes to say hello. It's like, how did they do that? There's just so much stuff in this film where I'm like, how on earth did they do that? It's really impressive. Really, really impressive. I'm glad I'm at least aware and have seen some of it. And I hope that I finish it at some point. But as I say, this week just wasn't the week for it. But I do recommend people seeing it. It, it, because it's the first ever Best Picture winner, and because I'm like interested, even though, like fundamentally, I probably disagree with the Oscars in terms of like, they are just this. They're just self congratulatory. Like, aren't we amazing? Let's have a big party to celebrate how cool we are. Thing, but they do seem important and i do ca- i do care who wins and i do care who gets the silly little golden statue of a man called oscar so so wings feels like an important film and it's important and i feel like it's important to watch it you know and it and it it's, it's not a film it's a film that seems deserving of an oscar win as well like the direction and the the ambitiousness of the film and the complexity of 
the acting and the directing and all that kind of things it seems Oscar worthy even though it's the first one so obviously you had not back then there was nothing to compare it to but right now you you watch it and you're like oh yeah I can see why this won an Oscar I actually want to talk about for a bit why the Oscars well not for a bit it's probably gonna last a couple of minutes anyway um I actually want to talk about for a bit why the Oscars began now I just assumed it was kind of as I say like a self-congratulatory oh my god I can't speak self-congratulatory thing where um it was like let's all let's celebrate each other let's all these like elite you know Hollywood stars let's all get together and have a party and just you know congratulate each other and pat pat ourselves and each other on the back because we've done such a good job in being artists or whatever but what I actually discovered I mean, obviously, I didn't do the discovering. I googled it, and I think I heard actually Rob McElhenney talk about it on the Always Sunny podcast. But so I did some digging into it as well. But basically, um, like a big guy, not physically, but like a big guy at MGM, who's a movie studio uh, called Mayer Louis. Yeah, Louis B. Mayer created the Oscars. Uh, and he did so because, like, construction, uh, not sorry, student construction unions, like, began forming. So people began to unionize and kind of band together against studios and try and, like, get more money and those kinds of things. Um, so this guy, and I'm sure more people, had the idea of creating the Oscars, which was basically creating a competitive nature to the film industry so instead of people like banding together and unionizing and getting you know getting workers rights and all these kinds of things you know doing the good work that unions do they introduced the oscars and introduced this level of competitiveness and competition and rivalry in the industry which meant that it wasn't good to be friends with it wasn't good to unionize it wasn't good to you know i don't know what i'm trying to say but it was better to have this competitive edge and to have a rival in the industry and to try and instead of everyone being friends it was your job to beat somebody to get an oscar you know i'm I'm gonna do better directing than you and like haha i won you lost i'm the best like this that and, and in doing that obviously there are actors unions and all that kind of thing but it's kind of interesting to think about that the oscars i just assumed it was as i say born out of patting people on the back and patting ourselves patting themselves on the back but it was actually born out of the idea of trying to squash it squash unions and create a competitive um atmosphere in the film industry and i think it's really interesting that that's what it was born out of and it kind of probably is still that i think i mean probably the the actors within you know every speech is like i can't believe i was nominated along these other amazing actors and these other remaining artists and things like that so it's definitely moved away from that thing but it i think at the oscars definitely does and award shows in general definitely like it pits people against each other and it pits the audience against other audience members like someone might be i want everything everywhere all at once to win and someone else might be actually Tar should win. Someone else might be actually Women Talking should win. Actually Avatar should win. And although these kind of debates are harmless, 
it is a debate and it is conflict so it's obviously not like a horrible conflict and things like that but it's it's division it's it gives people a reason to argue it gives people a reason to debate which isn't necessarily a bad thing i think debate obviously debate and um argument is good and in sometimes enjoyable when it comes to films and it's what like a lot of film podcasts do and a lot of um like critics do and um, film reviewers and people in the industry do it like they talk about what their favorite film is or which which film should win the oscar and the golden globe and all and it's to do with like tv shows and there's obviously the emmys and the tonys for plays and stuff like that uh, for theater so i've kind of lost my point (laughs) in that ramble um but i think what i was saying was that there is still a competitive edge but i think it's become more healthy but now the Oscars are now problematic because, and award shows are problematic because, you know, where's the female directors? Where's the people of colour? Where's marginalised groups getting represented? Where's minorities getting represented? Where's, you know, gay people getting represented? A lot, like, a lot of the films are talking about these kinds of things. Obviously, like, women talking and stuff. And to an extent, like, I guess Avatar is talking about vaguely deforestation and also colonisation. Um, but it definitely still is an issue where there are no female directors, I think, nominated this year. And I remember when when Little Women, like Little Women directed by Greta, Ger- Greta Gerwig, Greta Gerwig, sorry, didn't get nominated for Best Director, but Todd Phillips got nominated for Joker. And it's like... Was Todd Phillips' direction of Joker really better than Greta Gerwig's direction of Little Women? Like, come on, let's be serious here. This is Todd Phillips, the director of the Hangover movies. And in his film, The Joker, there is a scene that laughs at dwarves. I don't know if that's actually the politically correct way of saying it. I'm so sorry. I should have Googled that before I said it, and now I'm terrified. But I'm just going to move on, and hopefully that was right. But obviously there's a scene that makes fun of those kinds of people. And I was quite, not horrified, but I was quite like, really? Are we making a joke about this? Like, it just reminded me that that this was the same director as The Hangover. A famously, what I would consider, it's not exactly a, yeah, it's a fun film. It's a stupid film, but it's, there's a lot in there that isn't of what I think is okay. Um... And you're telling me that that's better than Little Women? That was better directed than Little Women? But this is the point, like, why does it matter? I liked Will Mil- Little Women more than I liked The Joker. Why do I care that The Joker got nominated and Little Women didn't for Best Director? Like, why do I care? It just, that's a, this is a debate that I can have with my friend, but I don't know. I don't know why I got onto that subject. Um... But I'm just going to stop talking about the Oscars now. <laughs> uh, and I'm going to quickly move on to just the last thing I want to talk about this week. Um, this has been a bit of an over, all over the place episode. There hasn't been really anything specific I was going to talk about. But I watched a lot of the Scream movies this week. So over last Halloween, I watched Scream 1 and 2. And then this week, I watched 3 and 4. And then I watched a double bill 
of five and six because six came out this week uh watched a double bill of five and six with my friend who's a really big scream fan and obviously they're not really horror films like i don't really like horror films that much and these are kind of my they aren't really scary but they are enjoyably thriller and enjoyably gory and enjoyably jump scary i guess they don't really jump to scream but like they're kind of jump scary um but they're really enjoyable films and like they're my friends jim actually you guys know jim he was in the second episode of the podcast but he's a really big really big scream fan so obviously if like someone you know is such a huge fan of a franchise that kind of intrigues you and thinks oh there must be something to this so obviously over like halloween last year i watched the first two and was really enjoyed them and kind of enjoyed the first one a lot more than i enjoyed the second one but i still had a good time with the second one i was like but it's kind of what it's like watching i guess any horror film to be honest where it's like yeah i guess this is this is this is doing what it needs to do it's not amazing but it's like enjoyable and thrilling to watch so it's doing its job it's doing what it's set out to do um so i didn't watch and three and four or five i didn't watch three four or five um but obviously the double bill's coming out and Jim wants to watch it. So I was like, I'll watch it with you. But I haven't seen 3 and 4, so I need to watch 3 and 4. So this week I, I did my own double bill of 3 and 4 at home. And 3 is probably my least favourite. I didn't really like it. Like, me and Jim have a similar kind of opinion where I don't really like the secret brother angle. Uh, and I don't know why, but that one seemed to have less gore and less, like, what makes Scream great. And which is why I didn't really like it. And why I like preferred the rest of them, um, and I, I actually don't know what the general public think are the best ones to be honest. But I, I did like four as well. Um, I assume people don't like four. I assume I don't know this for exactly, but I just assume that a lot of people don't like four and five because they're kind of like half reboots and stuff. Um, but anyway, so I watched three and four, and then I watched five and six and i really enjoy all of them like they're really enjoyable films they're really it's a really enjoyable franchise and like the meta-ness of it all i think for some people it would get annoying but for me i'm like yeah let's really lean into the meta-ness of it it's like you roll your eyes in a good way you know and some are more forgettable than others like i to be honest i can't remember much about scream 2 i can remember a lot about scream 1 and I watched that a similar time as I watched Scream 2, and I can't remember Scream 2. And then Scream 3, I didn't really enjoy that. Well, I enjoyed it, but it wasn't amazing. And then I really enjoyed 4, 5, and 6. And obviously, like, 5 and 6 were ones that I watched in the cinema, and I hadn't seen any of the others in the cinema. I don't I don't know what I want to say about them. I guess, like, obviously, I'm assuming people who are fans of the Scream franchise have seen them all. Maybe not the newest one, because it's only just come out. In fact, it comes out today. Um, or yesterday but yeah I, I think it's it's interesting to go into a film that kind of self references itself and has a film within a film like the Stab franchise within the Scream films is really funny and like gives you clues to what's going to happen in the film and you're always trying to figure out who the killer is but you're always wrong like which film was it the so <laughs> what I really liked about Scream 5 which came out in last year, 2022. So obviously I work in a cinema, um, and what I really liked about Scream 5 was that I'd walk into the screen, um, 
and I saw some spoilers while I was working at the cinema. So I saw I saw Dewey's death, and I saw the reveal of the the love interest being the killer. With so, and even though I knew that, I convinced myself that Dewey didn't really die. And while I was watching Scream Five properly for the first time this week in the cinema, the love interest was so charming. Like the actor was so charming and did such a good job. I convinced myself whilst watching Scream Five that oh, I must have been mistaken because he's not the killer because he's so charming and so nice. Like how could he be the killer? And that's just that is. To me, that means that's one of the best acting performances I've ever seen. Because that actor, who I can't remember your name, I'm so sorry. um, That actor was able to convince me something about his character that I knew wasn't true. So I'd seen that he was the killer, or one of the killers. But yeah, I was watching the film and I was like, no, he can't be. He's so charming, he can't be. Oh, Jack Quaid. Quaid. Um, I think he's an Epo baby, but we won't talk about that. Um... So yeah, to me, that's one of the best performances of all time because he was able to, he was so charming and so good in that role that he was able to convince me that he wasn't the killer, even though I knew he was the killer. That's so impressive. And I've got my, I've got, I've got a new hot take. Like if anyone asked me, uh, what's your, what's your film hot take? I'd be like, Jack Quaid in Scream 5 is the greatest on screen performance of all time. I can say that now. That's going to be my hot take from now on. I can't remember what, what was my hot take from before. I think a hot take that I used to go to, like no one asked me for my hot take, but like if someone was to, I think mine before would be like, the notebook's not very good. Um, I stand by that. Jack Nicholson isn't a good actor. That's my hot take. Well, he's a good actor, but I don't think he's as good as everyone says. That's another hot take that I have. So I have these like things that I have in I have in like my holster. If someone asks me for a hot take, and a lot of people would dis this, it's it's meant to be things that like a lot of people disagree with, and I don't really like the hot take culture. I see it a lot with football and punditry in football and opinions on Twitter and opinions on um, football media on YouTube that like hot take culture is something that's rife within that industry. And I haven't. I have probably haven't seen it as much in the film industry, to be honest. But I don't really like hot take culture. Is what I'm trying to say. However, <laughs> I do have ones that like I have ready if someone would still ask me. But I don't know who would ask me. But as I say, like obviously that about the Notebook and Jack Nicholson. This is a new one where I can be like, I guess this one's more of a positive one where I'm like, this actor gave an incredible performance and no one's talking about it. Um, and obviously. I, I would assume that Scream fans talk about it or that or appreciated it at least. But I just had such a reaction to that performance. It were again, I'm gonna say it again, like I knew he was the killer, but during the film he was so charming and so good in that role that I convinced myself that he wasn't the killer. And then when he was revealed, I was like, You idiot. You were you, you were you were tricked. By a charming white man. What are you doing? Oh. But anyway, I just that just made me really like Scream 5. It made me really like Scream 5 because I was like, he got me. Well done. You made me like this film way more than I probably would have if, it, if that didn't happen. But yeah, I mean, that's kind of all I'm going to say. I just spent whatever, however long talking about Jack Quaid's, but... Um, 
yeah, the Scream films, I'm really glad that I watched them. And it's kind of, I've watched all of them now and they're really good. And I'm glad I watched all of them. It feels like, it feels good to kind of watch a whole franchise, especially in a week. Like, my last four entries on Letterboxd have been Scream 3, 4, 5, and 6. Um, and it's been a really fun week. Like, they're really fun films. Like, I think a lot of them, a lot of people, I don't know, actually, I actually don't know this for a fact, but what I assume is a lot of people don't watch them because they think they're horror films. And yes, they're a bit jump scary, but they're actually more of thrill they're more like thrillers with gore and a guy stabbing and i think ghostface is one of my favorite antagonists because he's i guess it's not a person it's a it's it's not a person it's an idea it's a it's multiple people it can be anyone is the point um i think they're one of my favorite antagonists because there's no bullshit like everyone who's being ghostface has just been like, yeah, I'm going to kill you, and I'm going to kill you. There's no, like, not nobody's safe. You can just get stabbed. And spoilers for the most recent Scream film. Spoilers for the most recent Scream film in 3, 2, 1. At the end, Chad gets stabbed about 20 times by the two ghost faces. And he survives. <laughs> that is crazy, but it kind of works, because it's a silly thriller that's also really good, so it kind of works, and you kind of roll your eyes, but in a good way at it. Um, and I really like that about the Scream films. Um, but yeah, anyway, I really like Ghostface, because he's so, like, ruthless, and there's not... You, you, you never get the impression that the script is telling the antagonist not to kill them. Like, sometimes... Darth Vader or a Stormtrooper or I don't know um, the guy from Halloween whatever his name is sometimes I get the impression that like he could kill that person in that moment but the movie is telling him to keep them alive for longer whereas I with Ghostface it's like no he kills people like he kills people from the beginning all the way up until the end he will stab the living life out of you living life whatever that means he will stab you he will kill you and i guess that's the point with the serial killer film is that it's throughout it wouldn't be a serial killer film without it but and i I remember i got the same feeling about the antagonist in the shape of water i know this is a really weird comparison um but um whatever he's i can't remember the actor's name he's a really good actor i can't remember his name he's zod in Man, man of steel um michael shannon there you go i got there in the end um, in The Shape of Water, I remember being really gripped by him because he was relentless. He wasn't, like, pulling his shots. He wouldn't miss an easy shot. He wouldn't pull his punches. If he wanted to shoot you, he would shoot you. There wasn't... There, you don't have plot armour with Michael Shannon in The in the Shape of Water. And that's what that's a good way of putting it out. You, there is no plot armour when it comes to Ghostface. Unless... Unless you're Sydney, because they talk about that in the film that she's the main character, so she has to survive, and that's that they because it's so such a meta film, it plays into the the story that she can't die, and it's probably going to happen with uh, I can't remember her name, but Jenna Ortega and the other actress. I'm really sorry, I can't remember your name. It might happen with these two, but I really like where they're going with the Scream franchise. Actually, like they're six films in, and it's feeling really fresh because they've like rebooted it what's it what do they call it a requel 
it's really interesting that these two central characters are actually as damaged and as serial killery <laughs> that's a word as ghostface like they could be ghostface and i know it's like a a theory online that sydney's going to come back and be ghostface and it's a bit of a stupid theory and not one that i would like but i but i could see this girl these girls being ghostface you know they are they hint at it in scream 6 that like obviously she's billy loomis's granddaughter no daughter she's billy loomis's daughter like that ha- that must have an effect and she seems to enjoy killing people um and i know sydney and gail and everyone has that too but it seems different with the new cast of characters um i and to be honest i haven't even talked about sydney gail and uh dewey at any point really in this film in this podcast sorry i'm not a huge gail fan i definitely preferred her in the old ones than i do in the new ones um i really like dewey he's i don't think thingy Arquette is an amazing actor um but i really like him he's really like goofy he's really he's a real goofball and really silly guy but he's the hero he he kicks ass you know he's like this goofball guy but when it when it comes to it he's the bravest man in the room and i love him for that and obviously sydney is the best protagonist and it's sad that she wasn't in the most recent one and they kind of use a plot point and why then the plot point to why makes sense i guess but it's sad that she's not in the newest one and the studio should respect her more because she is the main protagonist of this very beloved and consistently good franchise and they should respect her more and that's my piece on it (laughs) but yeah that's all i think that's all i'm going to say on the scream films but they're really good if you haven't seen them please do even if you think you're going to be too scared I promise you, actually I can't promise you that, that you won't be scared, but I think that people, some people, and me, me in particular, have avoided the Scream, the Scream films, because I thought I'd be too scared, but having watched the first two last year, I knew that that wasn't the case, that they were manageable, Um, and then I haven't really been scared at all at the last four um, that I've watched this week. Like, they are gruesome, and they are, like, squeamish, they, uh, like, make you squeamish, but they're really good films they're really good films and it's impressive that there are six of them (laughs) and all of them are watchable first of all and all of them have redeeming qualities like scream 3 is probably my least favorite but it's still a good film i would still rewatch that film it's still enjoyable you know but yeah that's all i'm going to say on the scream films and that's all i'm going to say for this episode of the wagon wheel coffee table podcast i think um thank you so much for listening um we're getting i think we're over 100 downloads at the minute we're getting there people you know people seem to enjoying it i'm appreciate people are listening um i know i say this every week but hopefully more like i get more guests on um next week you know i'll say i think i'm going to do jurassic park next week um because 65 starring adam drivers coming out this week and i kind of want to watch that it looks good and i'm a sucker for dinosaurs um so i might watch jurassic park or I might watch like Jurassic Park three or something just to, because I, I think it's become like a thing on this podcast where, 
I'm trying to not get box put in a box of the kinds of in then no one's putting me in a box because no one knows about this show but like I don't want to be put in a box where I do the same thing over and over again like the last few episodes have been kids films or like films that from my childhood or from people's childhoods and I kind of want to switch it up a little bit and like move away from that for a bit even but Jurassic Park is a film that I loved as a kid so it kind of goes both ways but um i hope people enjoyed this episode of the show um i hope people are enjoying the podcast in general if you are leave a rating uh, leave a review um and thank you so much for listening you'll hear me next week